Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We regularly work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. Ah. Welcome back to the cottage. We're going to close off our whole entire look at Genesis 3.8 with a view back to the beginning and what God always intended from the beginning in his rest. Father, we do thank you that we can come to you and find such a solace where you are. For it's what you intended from the beginning as we are going to explore. And so help us to see what you always intended. And how you long to bring us to that same place. And it's through our connection with you. At any time we have access to your throne of mercy and grace. And we can come to that place where you are. And find that respite that we long for. Until we meet each other face to face. Right now we only know in part. And the part that we know is your great love for us. And in your sacrifice through Jesus that we celebrated this morning in Holy Communion. Now as we continue to turn to your word, help us to experience this solace that you offer us. Amidst all the trials and troubles we're facing. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well again we left off in Sunday school this morning with Luke 19.10. That the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So we're wrapping this all up. I'm going to try to put a bow. I know we've been through a lot of things with the water and the wilderness and Joel and Acts and went to Genesis 3. What is going on? And so Jesus has come again to seek and save. And he's desiring to do that in Joel 2 with us to save us as we repent of our sins. But then he's desiring us then to be like him. Because as we talked about before. As long as he was in the world, he said, I'm the light of the world. But when he's gone, we are the light of the world. And we are to go out and seek and save that which is lost. To find the one that's lost and leave the 99. And so in Genesis 3.8, think about it. God came to save humanity. Just like Jesus came. What happened? Adam and Eve fall. We talked about that. We talked about Romans 5.12 in Sunday school. We talked about the fall. We talked about all this Genesis 3 business. And yet what happens in Genesis 3.8 is on that day when God is coming, He's coming to save Adam and Eve. He's come to save them. It's hard to believe that. We often think of the fall and we think God kicking them out as the punishment. No, that was the original mission. God wanted them to go out from the beginning. They're stuck in the middle of the garden. They're hiding. So we have looked at it in a wrong sense. God's not punishing them by kicking them out. Yes, he says you can't come back in anymore. And you're going to lose that fellowship. 
But I still want you on mission. What I designed for you to do. If you carefully read the first two chapters of Genesis, you can see what God was asking of them to do. Speaking of which, back to Genesis 1-2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moved upon the waters. We talked about the Spirit in Genesis 3-8 coming. It was, the King James speaks of it differently, but that word there is Spirit in the Hebrew. And so, the Spirit comes in that darkness that they created in Genesis 3-8. Just like the Spirit came in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit came in Genesis 3.8 to save them. Just like Joel 2, God's asking to come and save us if we repent with the coming of His Spirit that was prophesied at Pentecost. So Jesus came, died on the cross as a sacrifice so that we could have the Holy Ghost in Acts 2. And Peter picks that up in Joel 2. And so it's all the way back to the beginning. And Genesis 1.31 is where we actually did end in our Sunday school lesson this morning. And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. And it was evening and morning and the sixth day. So God moved from darkness to settling everything to be good. And then he wanted to use humanity to perfect it. To move beyond good to the perfect. It wasn't perfect in the way that God wasn't finished. God was just beginning. It was the very beginning. But what is God then pushing us toward? Now, in our Bibles, somebody decided to create the chapter numbers about 500 years ago. And most of the time they get it right. But they were just guessing. But I don't know any Hebrew scholar that thinks that this is the end because we're talking about seven days in a week and this just guy just cuts it off at six this discussion does not stop these chapter numbers that you have are kind of like this songbook numbers right you have the songbook numbers where's my book here I wanted it and now it's not even here Sherilyn's saying well what number is it in this book well what number is it in this book it's different numbers you see what I'm saying there are actually different versions of the Bible that have different chapter numbers the Hebrew Bible I taught you in Joel has four chapters in the book of Joel we only have three in ours it's the same material they just divide the last section of chapter 2 into chapter 3 with the coming of the Holy Ghost that's what they do it's, there's nothing different between Joel that we have in our Bible and Joel they have in theirs. They just add that one section where the coming of the Holy Ghost is its entire own chapter. So the chapter numbers are not necessarily always the best divisions because that guy was one man who did that and then everybody began to follow him. And so we're still carrying on. The Hebrew hasn't stopped. Most people say it stops somewhere with verse 4, either before verse 4, at the end of 3, or some or some of them scholars want half of verse 4. But it's continuing on at least to verse 3. Thus the heavens, he's concluding his comments. Thus the heavens and earth were finished. He's finishing his comments. Six days, and now let's wrap it up. This is the end, right? And next week on the episode is going to be this. So I thought we'd end this series that we've been right here. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the hosts with them. Notice that the host is with them. A lot of people don't realize that. The focus here 
is on the host. Because we again, we're stuck in chapter 1 and we look at chapter 1 differently. But this is part of that story. We haven't finished that story. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. I'm talking about the heavenly hosts that are there. That God created the heavens and the heavenly hosts and the earth and all the stuff that he talks about in the earth. And on the seventh day he ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he's made. Now is God resting because he's tired? No. Does God need to sleep? Like yesterday Ed with Bob and today me after meeting the king. I needed a nap. <laughs> My wife called me so many times last night to give me updates. I needed a nap. Okay? Does God need a nap? No. Why is he resting? Because he finished what he set out to do. He set it all in order. And he's turning it over to us. Okay? In other words, he's got it good. He's got it where he wants it. And now he's going to pass it on to us. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified because that in it he had rested from all of his work which God had created and made. In other words, he's saying, I did what I set out to do. Thus, he gives us six days in which to do all the stuff we're supposed to do. And he asks us on the seventh. Now, Sunday is actually the first day. And so it gets kind of confusing because the Christians celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Okay? So it's kind of tricky. Jews do Saturdays. Guess what? Nepalis do Saturday. Church in Nepal is on Saturday. Because in, Saturday, in Nepal, all Saturdays, from ancient of days, Saturday has been an off day for them. Why? Because they're from that part of the world. Saturday was the day off. Their holy day is Saturday. Their holy day is Saturday. Christians have it fun because they usually try to take Sunday off if they can and do some things. I worked at a college that had Korean missionaries and because of what the New Testament says about Sunday, they said, well, you have to have church on Sunday. So most people would take Saturday off of that mission and that school where I taught, the college I taught, and they would go off to the Nepali churches, but then they had to be back Sunday at the Korean college then to do church because they said in the New Testament Jesus rose on Sunday and that's when it talks about Christians getting together because the Romans you didn't get any time off <laughs> and if you got off it was tricky what the Romans did with, with Saturday the Jews wanted off so it was all tricky so they would manage to get Sundays with what the Romans did too they kind of adjusted things but you got this idea that God rested he gives us six days to go out and do and then one day he wants us to cease, to give us a break, to focus on him. Like when you exercise, you exercise your body and then the exercise causes all kinds of things to happen in your muscles and you need to then rest to allow your muscles to rebuild. If you just keep doing, 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 it won't work. Your body's going to break down. You've got to have those rests. I remember... Uh, reading a book one time about this uh, spy was so much into the science of rest as a weapon 
describing how a spy would spend so much time resting to let his body heal and using that energy wisely. And sometimes if we don't get a rest, what happens? Then we can't accomplish things. Even today they're talking about, which I think is faith, they're talking about mindfulness, that we need to let our minds rest from all these screens, (laughs) all these notifications. This morning I didn't care what notification was on my phone. My goal was to deal with what's going on in Nepal and to get here and be able to do what God wanted to do. And I didn't care what was on my screen this morning. You know, I just can't do it. But sometimes we just need to rest because it's so crazy. Remember the locusts? We talked about that even this morning, eating us up. And the rest we need from all that stuff. We need rest. But think about this paradigm now. Six days, God ordered everything, went from darkness to goodness so that there could be a rest because now everything is in order. Everything's in order. I talked to a teacher. She said that when she started her class, in the fall, she was extremely strict, and there wasn't a request she would honor from her students. She hammered them like you wouldn't believe, and as the year went along, she slowly let them get a little bit looser. And by May, because they had accomplished all of the work that the state required in education, they were way ahead, then she could have all kinds of fun, and by the end of the year, they all had a blast. And they could enjoy their holiday because they had done everything. I did that for years in school. They told me if I didn't miss, I didn't have to take the semester exam. All I had to do was take the quarterly exam. So I had quarters. So you take the quarter exam and then you have another quarter and take the quarter exam. And then if you, your grades are good enough, you don't have to take the semester unless you are absent. And so I didn't want to ever be absent from school because... I don't want to worry about it. When I was in Bible college, I studied all the time. So that when the final exams would come, my mind was at rest because I studied all through the semester. That by the time I came to the exam, I wasn't trying to crunch a bunch of stuff in my head. I went in there and just as freely as possible could fill it out. And I remember one time going into this auditorium and taking an exam. And 20 minutes left to finish. I was finishing up my final comments. And 20 minutes left with the exam, somebody came bursting into the hallway and said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I stayed up till 4 o'clock in the morning to study and I overslept. And the professor says, Well, you got about 20 minutes. Do the best you can. You got the same time as everybody else. So much stress and tension. Everybody else is crazy about their finals. I went and played cards. I let my mind rest, and then when I sat down, it could all just flow right out of me. So easy. So easy. When we're under tension and stress, it's hard. But when we have everything in order, then God sends us rest at the end. Isaiah 66 is comparable to what's going to happen in Revelation 22 at the end. The end of Isaiah is is largely describing the end of Revelation. Revelation is borrowing from Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, the prophet is looking for us at the end. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? We talked about all that. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says we're building. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the third temple. What's going to happen in the book of Revelation? God is going to establish. The new Jerusalem is coming down here. And we're going to be with God here on earth. And we're together. 
And there's really no temple because God and his people are the temple. There's no buildings. There's no, there's no darkness. There's no night. It's, we're with him. He's the light. We're with him. What kind of place are we building for God to dwell in though? He's asking. David wanted to build a house of God. God says, I'm going to build out of you a house through, I'm going to bring Jesus through your dynasty and your king. But here Isaiah is asking, what are you building for God? We're supposed to be the temple. What are we building for God? We're supposed to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. What kind of place are we building? Now we talked about the righteousness in Sunday school that's coming. That God wants revealed in us. What kind of place are we building? Because scholars have noted that everything that's going on in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is actually temple building language. God was preparing a place, Eden, where he and his people could meet. And that's sacred space. That's that space we talked about in previous episodes when we did the sermons and the teachings in Sunday school on sacred space. Where God and his people can be in the same place at the same time. That's temple language. God will meet Abraham out in the wilderness. Then Moses built the tent, the tabernacle. And Peter calls ourselves, our bodies, tents, tabernacles that house the presence of God. Yet Peter talks about taking stones and Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And then those stones connecting and building God a house. So what kind of house are we building God? Jesus says in John 14, don't worry. I'm leaving. But I'm going to prepare and make you appropriate dwellings. Dwellings. Places. Where God and us can be together as one. Jesus said, that's what I'm doing. I'm building your retirement house and your house. Or you and me and God, we can all be together as one. That's what I'm doing up there. But what are you doing down here? Because remember, the new Jerusalem is coming down here. What are we building God down here? We're supposed to be building the kingdom of God. I remember attending a church and they had this program on Wednesday nights. They talked about about all the time about kingdom builders. That was their program on Wednesday nights. Kingdom builders. Are we building God's kingdom? This whole language, God was spending six days to prepare so the seventh day there could be rest for us to experience each other and God. To do what Jesus said, to love God and to love one another. To be together. For us and God to be in the same space. What did we talk about in the fire last Sunday night? What did we talk about in Sunday school this morning? That we are saved by fire, that the fire we live in the presence of God and we don't die. We're in the same presence of God. Sin sin brought death, but Jesus comes to offer us a way for us to live in the presence of God, even now. In the midst of all the suffering that Ed and Dad prayed about. How can we live in the midst of all the suffering? How can we experience God in the midst of all of the suffering? So what is the house that you're going to build for me? That's what he asked David. Do you want to build me a house? Are you crazy? You think God can be put in a box? And where? I want to focus on this Isaiah 66. We're in Isaiah 66 1. I want to focus on this. And where is the place of my rest? When I did six days, then I had a place of rest where you and I, we could be together in the Garden of Eden. 
Where is that place for us to experience God? Every day in our lives, through spiritual disciplines, when we pray and read God's word on a daily basis, and do other things like fasting and other, other meditations and all these other spiritual disciplines. Where is that place that we can rest in the presence of God to get back? God started with that terrible darkness and his spirit came and he brought rest. He's talking to Joel about repentance and bringing everybody in this battle. But eventually he wants to get to Isaiah 66 where there's no more battle. That we're not fighting against God. As a matter of fact, we're not fighting with God because we're not fighting. We talked about that. How we're always picking a fight around the world. We gotta, once we finish with one war, we've got to start another one somewhere else. Because we're constantly battling evil in this world. And that's what Joel 3 is talking about. That battle against evil. That battle that goes all through the book of Revelation. All the way up to chapter 19. When Jesus comes riding that white horse covered in blood. And it's not his blood, by the way. So where can we get that table in the wilderness? Where can we experience that rest in the presence of our enemies? Where can we get that? That we talked about this morning in the message. Where can God find rest as the dove searches after exiting the ark to find life after the storm has washed and renewed the earth and recreated act in the flood to decontaminate the cosmos? In Noah, the people were so evil what happened in Genesis 6 in those first four verses that God had to flood the earth and cleanse it. And now the, Noah's got the ark and he sends out the dove and the dove keeps coming back. I can't find a place to rest. Now that we've repented, now that we've experienced Joel 2, now the Holy Ghost has come, but that Holy Ghost, that dove, wants to rest somewhere on earth. And so Noah keeps sending it out. And finally the dove comes back with the green leaves. And eventually the dove doesn't even come back. Because the dove found a place. The dove, the Holy Ghost, wants to find a place to rest. Just like in Genesis chapter 2. Get back to that place where there's rest. Where we are no longer fighting with God. The doctors are trying to get my daughter's body to stop fighting and be at a place of rest with whatever's causing the problem in her kidneys. So that her kidneys can function normally. So everything can be back to good. You see what I'm talking about? Are you beginning to grab the picture of what we're painting here? Where can we find my place of rest? Now this Hebrew word is very special to me. It's probably one of the most special Hebrew words that I have in the entire Bible. The word rest there in the King James is menucha. The reason why this Hebrew word is so precious to me is because I get the most rest aside from Christianity, aside from our relationship with Jesus Christ, with one other person on this planet. One other person on this planet. One other thing aside from God gives me rest. And her name happens to be in her native tongue of Nepali, Menucha. And she doesn't even realize this. Because her name is something, it, it, she's not Hebrew. They're not using Hebrew language. They're just taking the letters of her language. And some priest, Hindu priest, when she was born, gave her the name Menucha. 
Now she forsook that name because it's the name of a Hindu god and she took the Christian name Elisha which is the Nepali version of Elisha. But her name that the priest gave her when she was a baby is Menecha. Except their M's are pronounced more like an R and so it's Renecha. But I always feel like there's God's reign. In the presence of my wife, I went through some terrible situations. Well, we did. But my wife was a strong presence of rest and peace in those situations. She's just like an anchor. Now, right now, it's a little crazy because I'm not there. But normally, when there's something going on, and I need someone to give me that rest, she does. I don't know what it is about her. It just happens. It's just a match made in heaven that God set it up. That when I'm gone crazy, I can find rest with her. And I'm sure you've experienced that in your relationships with your spouses. And I'm sure you miss your spouses if you don't have them. As I miss mine right now. But that rest that God designed. And it doesn't always happen. Because not everybody finds the peace of Christ. Not everybody is able to operate in that rest. That rest that God gives. And so God, after six days, made everything good to bring us to a place of rest. So that when we are in that kind of relationship. And then I remember a guy telling me one time. You won't understand being in the presence of God until you get married. When you experience what it means to be, have a spouse. That communion, that fellowship between two people, that love. That's the closest you'll experience to God. That's the closest thing you experience to God. And then you'll understand God's love for you when you have to love those children. Then you understand the extent that God is willing to go to save you when you are willing to go to what extent to save your own children. You begin to understand that. That's why from the beginning God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. It's the closest thing we can get to heaven. It's the closest thing we can get to heaven. Luke 20 verses 9 and 10. Then he began to speak to people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen. We keep talking about these parables. I thought I'd get one. Get, get you to one. And went to a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. The owner of the property rented the property out. Just like farmers rent their stuff out. And then he sent his servant to say, hey, give me... Give me what's mine. I've rented you my land. Now give me what's mine. And they beat the servant. Verse 11. We're in Luke 20. And again he sent another servant. And they beat him also. And treated him shamefully now. And sent him away empty. And again he sent a third. And they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard. What shall I do? I will send my beloved son, my only son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husband saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give their vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. Because they knew Jesus was talking about them. <laughs> and he beheld them and said, What is it then that is written? The stone which the builders has rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind them to powder. Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 3, the decision. The valley of decision. God has sent Jesus, what is our response? To repent. If we fall upon Jesus, we fall repentant, just like we repented today before the table that God provided in the wilderness. And we're broken, but God heals us. But if we are like Joel 3 and we're not going to repent, then when that stone comes, it's going to crush us and grind us to powder. And that's what my wife does. She takes those things out of the ground and she grinds them like powder. And she puts them in the food. We just go get them. I don't know how much they cost now. Back in the day, you get them for 50 cents, a bottle of spices. I don't think that's, those days are over. Those days are over. The question in Joel 2 is, God's asking, I've rented you out this place. I'm coming. I'm sending my servant. I sent prophet. I sent preacher. I sent this. I sent that. I sent all these people. And you made martyrs out of them. Then I sent my son and you killed Jesus. Then what am I left to do? What did they do? Did they prepare God a place? When God came himself, how did they receive him? Did they prepare a place? That God, through the Holy Ghost, is in our midst. And we are trying to bring people to be broken upon the stone so they can be healed rather than be ground to powder in the day that's coming. So that they can be at rest. Being in the presence of God is where we get our rest. Luke 20, 19. The chief priests and scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. These, tenant, these people that rented the vineyard said, God's not ever going to allow that to happen. And the rest of the world doesn't think that Jesus is going to come and there's going to be anything to it. They don't realize what's coming unless we tell them. Unless we tell them. They have no rest. They're out there going crazy trying to figure out how to make it in this life. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8. This is interesting. This is one of the places where the King James quite, doesn't quite get it right. Sorry, Ed. For if Jesus had given them rest, they would not have afterwards spoken to them another day. It's actually... The Greek here is referring to Joshua. The ESV has Joshua. Because Jesus and Joshua are the same. Joshua entered into the promised land. But after Joshua entered into the promised land, they never conquered the giants. David has to come and conquer the giants. They never finished the job. As a matter of fact, look, read the book of Judges. It's some of the worst pages. By the time you finish the Samson story, okay, that's pretty bad that their hero is Samson. And we all know Samson. He's not a hero. <laughs> His story is not nice. But if you start reading after that, the stories get much worse and grimmer and grimmer and grimmer. After Joshua, things are really bad. You think, oh, I get saved and that's it. No. 
That's just the beginning. God wants to order your life. God wants to bring you into a place where you and Him are one together and you get rest despite what's happening. That you can sleep on a ship no matter what the waters do because you already prayed and God already told you that you're going to get there. So you already know that God said this is what we're doing today so it doesn't matter what the ship does. I know that I've been with the Father. He said what's happening today. I can go to sleep. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day lay on. We keep talking about the day of the Lord. We keep talking about of another day. There will be one final day that comes when Jesus comes. That one final day. The final judgment when he comes. The book, Revelation 22. Which is where we're getting this out of Isaiah 66. There's going to be that final day. There's going to be that final day. There is going to be that final day. Where we're going to be at rest. But for now, he keeps sending these days where he's showing up and those who have served him show up and say, see what I've done? And the master can say, well done. I can see what you did. I gave you five talents. You give me five more. Well done. I gave you two talents. You gave me two more. Well done. They're at rest. Why? Because they did their job. They're at rest. I gave you one talent. Well, I buried it in the dirt. <laughs> you made my money dirty? No rest for that one. No rest. Because they're not doing what God has called them to do. Neither are they bringing others in. The one with two got two more. The one with five got five more. What God is calling us to do is to bring people into that rest. People aren't finding the rest. It's one thing to accept Jesus. It's another thing to spend a lifelong journey with Him enjoying His presence. It's great to have faith, but there's also faithfulness that we talked about earlier. Isaiah chapter 11 discusses this also. Chapter 11, verses 2 to 4. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon them, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might. It's talking about the Holy Ghost does all these wonderful things for us. God's Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And it brings rest because it rests upon us. It gives us God's presence. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we have the presence of God because like in Genesis 1-2, over that darkness, but the Spirit had nowhere to rest because it was water then you see the waters like the Red Sea like baptism the waters divided and the earth emerges up out of the waters then in Genesis 2 God breathes his spirit into the earth and earth becomes earthling you start to see the pattern here that's happening in Genesis 1 there's no place for the spirit to land to rest there's no rest in the land. It's all chaos. And that's how it is, it seems like today. We go outside these doors and there's no rest. It's all chaos. It's great to come here and pray and experience the presence of God. It's terrible to go out there because it's a battle. All these things going on our prayer list is longer and longer and longer. My wife's like, this is crazy. How much more of this can I stand? This is absolutely ridiculous. Last year, concussion. This year, kidneys. A few years before that was a broken arm. That's just one child. We're not talking about everything that's gone on with Alicia. 
and her health. And some of the things I didn't tell you that happened really recently. When's it going to end? Carry on. The spirit of counsel, might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. This is what we talked about in Sunday school. That sin brought death. That Cain kills Abel. That's what we learn from Genesis 3 and 4. From the beginning. That's what happened when Adam and Eve descend. Then we have each other killing each other. Joel 2 is talking about we repenting and then we receiving God's Spirit. So then we, with the Spirit, along with the Spirit, can bring the righteousness we talked about in Sunday school to help the poor. The poor need judgment. Those who are doing without need judgment. The poor in Nepal are so poor they have to work in another country. Why? Because the government is so corrupt. They need to go to another. That's why my niece, her mother's in Croatia and her father's in Malaysia. They need, well, how are they supposed to get rest? They need to understand the gospel that brings righteousness where people are treating each other right and they're not ripping each other off. I don't know what's going on with our government. Are they really helping the poor? Or are they continuing the poor to be trapped? In that end of cycle. I don't know. Doesn't look good. I'm not a politician. I'm not a social scientist. I don't know. I'm a preacher. Isaiah says the judge of the spirit in us allows us to assist the poor. To bring about life where there's death. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. This is what's happening to all those who are ungodly. This is Romans 1.17 that we talked about. But what he wants is Romans 1.16. He wants us to repent. He wants righteousness that we live right lives and we help other people live right lives. That's what he's desiring. Verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an instant to the people. To it shall the Gentile seek and his rest shall be glorious. This is what he's after. The coming in Isaiah 11 of the Holy Ghost is to bring about what Jesus said in John 16. That the Holy Ghost will come and judge the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. Sin, because we're all sinners, we talked about that. Romans 3, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We talked about that in Joel 2, that people repent and receive God's gift, the Holy Ghost. Acts 2. The Holy Ghost then causes us to reach out to other people. Sin brought death, but the Holy Ghost brings life. We live. We bring life to the dead. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means. Inspiration. Respiration. Aspiration. It's all the spirit. Spiration. Spirit. Moving in our midst, causing things to happen. And that's what Isaiah chapter 11 is talking about. That the Spirit of God comes. And because the Spirit of God comes in us in Joel chapter 2, that we can go to the Joel 3 and we can give them the Spirit. We can call them to respirate or breathe. 
as Ed's doing with his machine, you can hear it. The air is helping him with his respiration, with his re-spiriting. The, the breath goes out, but the breath comes back in. The breath goes out, the breath comes back in. The spirit comes in. That we receive the spirit of God only to give out the spirit to others. That where sin brought death, we have the Holy Ghost to bring life to the dead. That's what he's calling us to do. And it causes a rest. Because if you can't breathe, if you can't get oxygen in parts of your body, if that oxygen is not going to where it needs to do, your body freaks out. And you have no spirit, you are dead. They have no spirit, they're dead! They need respiration, they need respirited. They need, the earth needs that spirit to come inside of it for it to be earthling. Joel 2 is all about us receiving the spirit, so Joel 3 we can bring that spirit to those who need it. Many refuse. Not much we can do about that. All we can do is move on to the next one and maybe God will get someone else to reach that person. That's all we can do. But we are to bring that rest. But if Satan's got us so caught up in our own things, then how can we do that? Because it's such a battle. You start doing things, what happens? The enemy's going to come against you. That's what Isaiah also says later on. The enemy will come in. The enemy will come. The enemy will come against you. But God will then come in like a flood, like Noah's flood, and he will fill you with the Holy Ghost to meet the challenge of the enemy. To meet the challenge of the enemy. And when the enemy comes in, God is going to come up higher. When the world waxes worse and worse, the godliness shine brighter and brighter. Something's happening. My brother's like, this is ridiculous. I said, yeah, something's getting ready to break loose. So the enemy is throwing everything he can at my family. Everything he can, because something's getting ready to happen. I don't know what it is. But something's going to happen. It's getting ready to break loose. And we have got to understand that no matter what we're facing we can have inside of us God's rest through it all we can experience God's rest in amazing ways as we receive the spirit in breathing in God taking in God no matter what attacks us no matter what attacks our body because these bodies are just candy wrappers <laughs> right they're just candy wrappers they're going to be discarded. She, she pulled out a, a can. I don't understand what she's doing here. She tells me she goes to the burger. Uh, she tells me she goes to the bar to get bourbon. I, I'm not sure what that means. And then she's out in the front of the church with a can. I'm like, what are you doing? And what's in that can? Somebody discarded the can. And man, people are going to think we're a bunch of drunkards in here. The can's out on the front lawn. They discard the can. This is going to be, this stuff doesn't matter. This is not what is everlasting. This is 70 or so. Bob's got 96. 
I think the pastor is coming. He, his mom was like 96 or something. Her grandmother was almost like a couple of days shy of her 95th birthday. And her grandmother's sister, 102. At the same place where Bob is. Bob needs to keep that room. My Aunt Peg was there. She lived to be 102. That room is blessed to God. Bob was asking for more. He's trying to figure out what's next. He's like, I ain't done yet. I'm not done. God is not done yet. We need to understand what the Spirit of God wants to do. And we need to rest in that fact. Despite what's happening in the world. He gives us six days to make everything good. On the seventh to worship and rest in Him. His presence. But it's a lot of work out there for six days. My wife's like, this is crazy. That's why we only have two kids. She says, because I'm not doing three. I have a suspicion that somehow when you add it up, there's already four of us, so it's already three and one. (laughs) I'm probably the biggest kid in the house. It's a lot of work. As we talked about on Labor Day, we talked about the work. That was just a month ago, we remember. We talked about Labor Day, the work that we're to do with God. But it's by His Spirit. But when you do that work, it's wonderful just to rest, to look back and see. And that's what God does. He just stops and pauses and sees. I think of music. She keeps talking about flats and sharps. Seems like that's what the world is. It's, sometimes it's flat and then sometimes it's sharp. It's, oh my goodness, it's difficult, right? Some notes are high. Hallelujah! Some notes are low. Some notes, songs, we have fast, and sometimes it's slow. And sometimes the notes, we think, those are hard to reach. (laughs) That's a long note to play and hold, to sing. And then sometimes you got to have that rest. You got to have that pause. Even God uses the pauses in the song to make life beautiful. So you put it all together, it's a beautiful song. The high stuff, the low stuff, the sharps, the flats. (laughs) But when it comes together, it makes beautiful music. And you can't have a song without rest. You can't have a song without a pause. You've got to have that moment to pause. You can't constantly just hit the note I mean, it won't work on this unless you have one of those electric ones, I guess. If you got an electric keyboard, you could probably push the note down and they'll keep playing. But eventually the note is going to stop. There has to be a chance that we have to stop to embrace the full beauty that God has for us. Life is crazy. Many of you are able to slow down. Linda and I, we still have to work. We have to go to work tomorrow. I know you all love that. We have to go to work tomorrow. Although she can show up at 10.30 she wants to. I found that out. She got towed on. People confess when the pastor shows up. Amazing things. Confession's good for the soul, right? But we do need some time to rest. To stand back and see what God is doing. To stand back to know that God is moving. And some nights are less. Some nights are... Rest. Some nights are 
And some part of the spiritual disciplines, there's times to be silent before God. There's times to meditate where you don't say anything. There's many times my wife wish I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> it's time to be quiet. She doesn't like a lot of my messages because they're quite loud. She thinks I'm a little too loud. I don't know about you guys. Life can be loud. But we got to understand that we have a chance to rest, but also to participate in bringing others to that rest. The peace that passes all understanding and even misunderstandings. The peace that we long for. My wife is longing for peace because she's in a, such a battle over there. And yet things over here don't look that great either. And grass is always greener. So, all we can do is rest in what's coming. But in the meantime, he wants us to work to bring other people to experience that rest. I hope what you experience when you come to church. I hope what you experience when you come and sing these songs. And when we pray together. I hope you're experiencing the presence of God. And that's what drives us to come to church. Not because this is what mommy and daddy did. This is what we've always done. We have to do this. No, because you are experiencing this rest. Because life is full of challenges. Taking care of this one and taking care of that one. And doing this and doing that. And oh my goodness, it never ends. And we need that rest. We need the rest. Because God has so much more. Like Paul Harvey says, this is just the beginning. We haven't got to the rest of the story yet. As it unfolds, the beautiful things that's going on. Because Paul says, we only know in part. We only know in part. Children oftentimes only know part of what's behind the scenes. He knew more than I ever did of what she did with my mother. I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. What all she was doing for me. He knows. I didn't know I was a child. I had no idea what she did. We have no idea what all God is doing. Behind the scenes. We only see the mess that we make. I want you to experience the presence of God in a special way. Take some rest points. Stop off at a rest area from your trip. Take a break and experience the presence of God this week. And understand what he's trying to do in your life. But also understand there are so many people who don't get that rest. And they need it. Give them that rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Ghost. That took that darkness. And by your Holy Ghost, Father, you created all things. And you got it on the seventh day to a place of rest. And that's where you're going to take us to in the end. But we can experience some of that rest now. There are many people who aren't experiencing that rest. We're all troubled, afflicted, but we're not totally ruled out. (laughs) Because you are amazing, God. And what you're doing. There's so many things happening and it's hard to find that rest. It's hard to find that place to be in your presence. To experience the fullness of your spirit. So that we can be overflowing with that Holy Ghost. And we can breathe that life into someone else. First, breathe it in us again, anew, fresh, fresh revival. 
The only thing about revival is it's just the coming of your spirit to make alive again. Revival is reliving. That re-experiencing again, that birth, that new birth that we experienced when we were born again as Christians. Revival is just reliving the coming of the Holy Ghost once again in our lives. Reliving, becoming more full of your spirit, even again. And again. Just like the child, like Jubilee. Teresa, when I would do things as their daddy, they'd say, do it again. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, again and again and again. Experience these moments of rest, these presence, the power of your presence, over and over again, to flow, even though life is crazy. May we experience this rest. May we experience your rinha, where you want to rest upon us. That you find in us a place where you can land and bless your place. We, Lord, thank you for Cottage Hills Baptist Church. And we thank you that this is a place that your spirit can land and rest upon this place. And that we can find rest in you. That your dove can land here just like your dove came upon Jesus. And the Holy Ghost came. We want your spirit to continue to flow in this place. That when the dove finally found that place, it did not come back to Noah. And when your Holy Ghost finds a place like Cottage Hills Baptist Church to land and rest, it's here with us. You are up there with Jesus. And your Holy Ghost is down here. And I pray that this is a place that you can rest. And that we can experience your rest. Right here. In this place. That we can be the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that we can give your life to the dead. And cause them to live again. That's revival. Let us bring in more that they can be born again into this place to experience your spirit and that rest. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dken.cc That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.